Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock, and every Sunday at this time, from 6 to 8, we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. And my guest in tonight's program is William Bird, who is Director of Media Monitoring Africa. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. I'm sure many listeners will know your voice because you do quite a lot of interviews on radio and TV about your subject, which is monitoring of media. Yes, indeed. Um, it's, it's, it's just a strange thing to think that I'm someone that should be on people of note. But uh, uh, we do tend to get interviewed about a lot of things. And whenever there's controversy in the media sector, which given the state of our media sector is fairly, fairly frequent, actually, we've had seven ministers of communication in the last four years. So... Uh, that leads to a wonderful uh, level of, of instability in our broadcasting sector particularly. So it's, um, it's, it's been a very, 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 very busy time. And you play an important role. Well, I'd, I'd like to think so. I mean, we do advocacy. We try and uh, ensure that we get better legislation and better policy. Uh, so we work with the different stakeholders, the National Association of Broadcasters, the South African National Editors Forum, and then a lot of NGOs, partners as well, to try and make sure that uh, we can enable our media to do the best job that they possibly can. Obviously, you need a diverse media environment, so stations like Classic FM are, are essential to that. Um, you need to make sure that your regulators have an idea what they're doing. Currently, of course, our ICASA is our regulator, is being chaired by a convicted criminal, which is <laughs> unfortunate to say the least. Um, you know, but our public broadcaster seems to be finding its feet again, and that kind of thing is only good for the whole sector because it means that everyone ultimately has to up their game. And when did you come into being? So the organization started in 1993 in the lead up to the South African national elections, our first democratic elections. And at the time, it was set up to help. Uh, give input into whether the elections were free or fair, so monitoring primarily the public broadcaster. Uh, and then we became a democracy, and that's when we realized the real work started. So we had to re do a lot of work about saying, well, we've operated media in this way. Now we need to shift in a dramatically different direction. There was uh, really the only th – there were one or two um, other commercial radio stations at the time, and then otherwise the SABC, and there was very much – not that much else, really. Now we've got – over 200 community radio stations. We've got over 200 uh, community newspapers or small independent publishers, uh, you know, and and still some of the biggest media houses on the on the continent. Gosh, so your job has expanded and uh, filled that space. Let's listen to your first choice of music, which is by Frederick Chopin, Prelude in A Major. It's played by Raphael Blechatz. The short Prelude in A Major by Frederick Chopin, played by Raphael Blechatz. The choice of William Bird, the Director of Media Monitoring Africa, who's my guest in People of Note. Just casting your mind back to 94, you said that basically there was the SABC and perhaps Capital. Was it Capital in those days? Yeah, like Capital Radio. Capital Radio. I mean, there was very little. Well, there was a lot of, of media, but under very few people's control. And, of course, there were a couple of uh, – there were many newspapers, but, again, under just a couple of people's control. Yeah, and they and they all sounded far too similar. And then, and I and I guess to a degree, a lot of them do sound similar. But we had, 
uh, it was a wildly exciting time post-democracy because you had people trying out things and testing limits of freedom. So this station, for example, uh, some mid-90s, late-90s, you had a, uh, a lot of focus and concern about spiraling crime. And so what Classic FM did at the time was they said, you know what, we're not going to actually cover crime in our news bulletins. People know about it. It's there. We're going to talk about other issues. And it had a really interesting impact because at the same time, one of the other big radio stations, they were just obsessed with talking about crime. And they discovered that they started to lose listeners. And the reason was, was because people were just upset about this idea of just being potentially victims or almost or victims in waiting. And it talked to the, the, the different role that media can play, you know, which is, yes, you need to be there to report and inform people, but there's, you know, there, there, there are other things that we need to focus on. And if you're going to talk about crime, you don't just say these people, these people got murdered, these people died, these people got hijacked. You need to be saying, well, what are the root causes? How do we understand it? How do we start to shift things and what it's, what's actually being done about it? And, of course, you have similar trends. If you look at the coverage of HIV, for example, which was uh, one of a, the significant, uh, our most significant post-democratic shifts where our president, again, at the time, Mr. Mbeki was kind of out of touch with reality, uh, certainly on reporting on HIV, wonderful leader in many other respects, but completely out of touch with reality there. And you saw media covering the conflict between government and and civil society and the TAC and the like. And what happened then was uh, people also started to switch off not, you know, from reading and engaging with that content. But it wasn't because they weren't interested in stories on HIV. It was because they weren't interested in how the media were telling those stories. So we're learning quite dramatically shifts as to how things go from when uh, when you become a democracy that you report the conflict and then you're realizing, well, audiences are looking for different things. And now, uh, in this day and age where people can get their information from any number of sources, you have to say, well, what's the role of media and journalism now when you can find anything anywhere? Often a lot of it isn't true, and that's another challenge which we'll get onto. But you know, so how do people get information? Where do they get information that's actually going to improve their lives or benefit their lives, give them something to act on uh, and inform themselves? William Bird, my guest in People of Note. Your next choice is Liebestraum, Love's Dream by Franz Liszt, played by Vla Van Cliburn. Van Cliburn playing Liebestraum, number three, by Franz Liszt. Very popular piece, very popular choice from William Byrd, who's my guest in People of Note. He's the director of Media Monitoring Africa. And you just mentioned there in passing, William, uh, fake news. I mm. mean, you didn't say fake news, but actually that's what you were talking about. Yeah. And, I mean, your job has changed dramatically in 20 years. We, yes. we were saying how media has changed in 20 years. Yes, ex exactly. And now you've got so much news and information and people can get it from, from any source. And you're also seeing this rise of this kind of counter-scientific, counter-rational approach to understanding our world where if people don't like what you say, they just kind of deny it and, and pretend and, and just use, you know, speak bullshit for want of a better term. Yeah. As Donald Trump, that, I mean, he's one of the, the great proponents of it. Of course, he uses the term fake news to undermine the credibility of media that are actually pointing out a lot of things that he's doing wrong. So at the same time, you've got this idea of, of news that just isn't accurate, and you've got people out there deliberately spreading misinformation campaigns. And these things are very powerful. We've seen how they potentially impacted the American elections, the French elections, the elections in Kenya just recently. And so now 
you know, without elections coming next year, this is a big area that we have to really guard against because a lot of people, in fact, I was uh, deposing an affidavit on Friday evening at a police station and the officer in charge said to us, well, you know, you're lucky that you're here. It was about 8 o'clock. He said, you're lucky you're here this, this Friday because apparently they're going to be shutting us down at 6, 6, 6 p.m. because of safety risks to police stations and that in future you'll only be able to report it to a police car. And we were like, really? Is that true? He said, yes, he read it somewhere. And I was like, oh, <laughs> interesting. And I said, well, I'm not sure that that's true because, you know, it wasn't on any of the news or reputable news sites that I'd been on that day. And you'd notice that kind of story. Yeah. So even a police officer was victim of of the thing that sounded almost believable because the other thing is that South Africa is sufficiently crazy that some a lot of the be- yeah. unbelievable yeah. things could actually happen. Yeah. You know, it's it's completely yeah. mad. But <laughs> the whole world actually seems to have gone a bit crazy. Yes. And it's partly because of this, I think. Because yes. there are, there's so much stuff floating around on the internet that could possibly be true. Mm. And and it just takes me back to a thought that uh, I read an article once about uh, a young girl who wanted to know whether um, Father Christmas was true or mm. not. And her father said to her, you know... If you read it in the Baltimore Sun, then you know it's going to be correct. But, and, and so she did. She wrote to the Baltimore Sun and asked them about this, you see. But it just reminded me that actually there was a time when things that you read probably in, in a well-known newspaper would most likely be the truth. Mm. Now it's all over the place. Well, La Traviata, the prelude from La Traviata is your next choice. This is by Giuseppe Verdi, the KZN Philharmonic under Victor Yampolsky. The prelude to La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi and played by the KZN Philharmonic under Victor Yampolsky. The choice of William Byrd, who's my guest tonight. William, uh, who set up the media monitoring project, I think it was in those days, in 93? I mean, that was quite a bold step to set it up. Uh, mm. Who set it up and how are you funded now? Well, it was actually one of the people involved who used to be involved with Classic FM, uh, Professor John Van Sale, uh, and a collection of uh, South African and Australia, other um, Australian academics and um, and some people who now have moved on to very big, bright things in our, in our broadcasting sector, Bronwyn Keen Young being one of those people. Um, and it started then as a as a as a small entity monitoring the elections, as I've said, and we've been going. So this year we're celebrating 25 years, uh, which is pretty impressive. So we usually get funded by donor funding. Uh, if people want to phone up and give us lots of money, that would be very helpful, or even little bits of money. Uh, so we are non-profits, so we're not allowed to make any profit. Any money that we do get in that covers the costs, we use to make sure that it allows us to carry on doing our job. So. It's donor funding and it's doing contract work fundamentally. So one of the things that people then accuse us of is, you know, we agents of Western imperialism. Uh, the big irony, of course, is that uh, the, the donors that do give us money, they have very little say in what we do. Um, and actually, we have far greater levels of accountability than these big corporate entities who themselves are apologizing. Um, for example, this week we saw McKinsey apologizing. Um, so we have to have clean audits and we have to you know, subject them to all sorts of scrutiny and lots of other issues that make sure that we run a clean ship. So it's, um, it's a challenging environment, but it's, a, it's, it's one where the possibilities 
for an organization as small as ours to have an impact on on major policy and on other broadcasting issues is, is, is just absolutely incredible. And how did you get involved in it? Um, my brother wrote me into doing some part-time monitoring in 1995. Uh, and then <clears throat> by... Uh, a series of coincidences in at the end of 1999 there was a big inquiry into racism in the media before the South African Human Rights Commission uh, and it was a very hot and volatile period in our media and in our country's history surprise we're in another hot and volatile period we spend a lot of time being hot and volatile in South Africa it seems and um, the then director left to go and find love uh, elsewhere or he had found love elsewhere I should add and uh, I was left to, to run the entity, and I've kind of been doing it ever since. And he left you in a hot and volatile state. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Well, n- not he left you in a hot and volatile state. Well, he I was hot and volatile <laughs> to, to have to run an NGO that I didn't really yeah. know anything about. So it, it, it was a very interesting period, but I had a wonderfully small team, and yeah. uh, I think there were three or four of us, and now we're about 14 people, um, yeah, and brilliant people to help out still. Beethoven is your next choice, talking about hot and volatile. Mm. This is part of the Symphony No. 7, the first movement, the Radio Symphony Orchestra of Stuttgart under Roger Norrington. Beethoven, Symphony No. 7 in A major. That was the first movement. The Radio Symphony Orchestra of Stuttgart under Sir Roger Norrington were performing it. And I'm talking to William Bird, who's the director of Media Monitoring Africa. Uh, When you started, you were really set up to monitor media in South Africa. Mm. So how come your name is now Media Monitoring Africa? Because that's a much bigger story. Yes, so we'd been going, I think, 15 years or 20 years. I forget now, actually. This is what happens with uh, getting long in the tooth, certainly in my case. Um, And we realized that we were no longer a project. Our staff were saying, what are we a project of and what does it mean? And we wanted to reflect both our origin, which is that we're an African organization, but also our desire to expand further onto the continent. And so that was why we changed our name from Media Monitoring Project to Media Monitoring Africa, and that's uh, something that we are still generally happy with. Um, So it means that we do work uh, in different countries. Uh, So earlier this year, my colleagues were in, um, in Kenya doing some training around gender uh, for a, a group in South Sudan, uh, you know, we've been to Burundi and to all sorts of countries, probably about 15 other African countries over our 25 years. Um, so, yes, it's it's something that reflects who we are, that we're proud of our, our African heritage and identity. And it's something that when we look at our policy issues and when we look at working and the kind of work that we do, it's really important that we reflect on, on what we can do and what we add and bring to uh, the media sector that that others aren't able to do outside of our continent. So it means that in our last year we had a wonderful case on the Van Breda matter about media access to reporting criminal trials uh, because of the intervention that 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 we made as an amicus with our unbelievably amazing lawyer at the time, Stephen Rocky Budlender. We have changed global precedent on allowing media access to criminal trials. And that's thanks to our Supreme Court. So it's it's not just a wildly exciting time with huge potential for us as a as an NGO, but also our legal system and our policy are things that are still evolving. We're only 
28 years or something as a as a democracy so we we brand new really yeah but but you seem to have well like a lot of small organizations you punch above your weight because you are often being interviewed on TV and radio and it sounds as though you know you're able to call on resources when when you need to and you you punch hard well you have to you know one of the things that that we've been able to build up is a level of credibility because we will uh, criticize government political parties and media uh, in equal measure but we'll also hopefully give credit where credit is due so in as much as there are huge things that are going wrong with all of those issues our media are often their own worst enemy so are government very frequently um, you know we'll also make sure that, that 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 we commend them where they get things right and I think that that's allowed us to build up a level of credibility with media and with government so that they do take us and our and the issues we raise seriously, which I guess explains why they, they do tend to speak to us fairly often. And here's a piece that made the world take Beethoven seriously. This is the part of Symphony Number no. 5. It's the second movement played by the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra under Charles Ansbacher. That was the second movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, played by the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra under Charles Ansbacher, the choice of William Byrd, who's my guest in People of Note. And I notice three choices by Beethoven in a row. Uh, did you have some sort of musical background yourself? No, sadly, I have no musical ability, but it's uh, my, mom, uh, my mom did. So the first few pieces of music were things that she used to play on the piano at home that I remembered. And then I think initially my first uh, classic excitement was around Mozart. Uh, I, I was actually, it was to celebrate one of my other nerd friends. I think it was his 10th birthday or something. We, we, Amadeus had just come out and we went to see a movie. And as a 10-year-old boy, that was not the most common movie to be taking your friends to. But it was uh, something that opened my eyes completely to a very different version of classical music so i'd had it in my with the, in the family to some degree that and a whole lot of other things that were maybe not as as wonderful um but it then opened my eyes to that and then as i grew a bit older listening to some of the stuff by beethoven the kind of passion and and just amazing levels and quality of music that that he produced was something that kind of resonated with where we are as a country you know so it's a few centuries old i think uh but it's it's just completely amazing and i think it really read you know the the fury and the anger and the volatility and and at the hot, same time hot the volatile. potential hot and volatile it just <laughs> runs through our nation so it's, yeah. it really does i think it's music that speaks to yeah. speaks to us now and i've been lucky enough actually to go to his uh I was there for a conference in Bonn, and I went to his birthplace, and it's a little, you know, rundown house and whatever. And and the thing that's really lovely is that you can go and sit in a room, and they've got the music nicely annotated. So as you listen, as you do yourself, and some of your other programs, you get to hear and understand a lot more of the kind of context. So it really gives you a much greater depth and feel to it. But it's um, yeah. I mean, some days you you just have to have classical music, otherwise you might go insane. And do you come from a sort of activist family well my mom primarily she's an urban activist I, th I think one of my first memories was of her taking me to a Joburg City Council meeting and at the time she was pretty extraordinary for a number of reasons firstly because she was a woman and secondly because she used to smoke a pipe 
and because she used to, she didn't hold her punches then either. She yeah. used to go into these meetings with uh, these people who were then the Nationalist Party and go and give them hell. And I'd be told to sit in a corner with my little suitcase of crowns and 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 bits of paper. And then inevitably we'd leave the meeting, and my mother would be in a fury, saying, "Oh, something, something, Nat! I don't know what the hell we're doing." So for a long time, I wasn't quite sure what a Nat was. It was quite an interesting experience. So, and then it was always about um, making sure that we understood heritage and history as part of of who we are. And even though there are things about it that we really don't uh, approve of and enjoy, it's important that you kind of have that sense of history. And so a lot of it was around then preserving buildings and making sure that we recognized and respected the issues around them. And perhaps we should just mention that your mother was Flo, is Flowbird, mm. and uh, we'll talk a bit more about her perhaps after the break. But we're going to hear now the part of the Symphony Number no. Nine by Beethoven, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra under Sir George Sholte. And a warm welcome back to the second hour of People of Note. My guest in tonight's program is William Bird, director of Media Monitoring Africa. And just before we heard Beethoven before the break. We were talking about uh, Flow Bird, and you reckon that's where you got your your punchy attitude to things? Well, she was uh, certainly and still is a large driver and inspiration. She's a, one of one of my dear friends referred to her as a national treasure just the other day, and I, I firmly believe that she is. But she was strongly supported in that by um, my, my dad, who sadly passed away. But... Um, he wasn't so much as an activist in the way that she was, but he was an activist in many other respects. You know, he would be one to strongly argue about all of the things that she did and make sure that she always held her positions and, of course, made sure that he was able to support us all in, in doing the things that we've been able to do. And it's certainly a big support of Media Monitoring Africa, and without him, I don't think that it would still be going, quite honestly. So it was a, a, a huge role, but um, it was that, and then, you know, she would always take on things at school when we had issues at school around ridiculous rules and regulations because, again, you know, in the 80s, South Africa was among the, the, the best for having the most ridiculous, offensive, stupid, crazy rules and regulations that any country could hope to have. And she would take on the school authorities? Yes, she did, frequently. <laughs> Much to your amazement, I expect. Sometimes amazement, sometimes a little bit embarrassing, but... Um, also with a great deal of pride, you know, we had a, a Picasso play that, that we were going to do for one of my high school issues and they wanted to ban it because it had a three-letter rude word in it. Um, and so then we refused and then we promptly went and wrote our own play, which is far more <laughs> extreme, actually. <laughs> Where were you at school, as a matter of interest? Um, I went to a, a school which still seems to suffer from the same challenges it had then, which is a Parktown Boys High. It was institutionalized bullying and misogyny, which is uh, sadly something that, that hasn't changed in South Africa very much. Well, a wandering minstrel, I guess, did you ever perform Gilbert and Sullivan at school? I'm not sure if they did, actually, but if the, my first Gilbert and Sullivan was um, uh, the Pirates of Penzance, and it was on at one of these uh, theaters, and it was, I wasn't sure I was going to enjoy it. Again, I was fairly young, I was maybe 12 or, or something, and um and it and it was really hilarious because it made fun of all the kind of operatic tendencies and trends. And in fact, I chose the Mikado because of the kind of political statements that it was making at the time. So again, this is over a good few centuries old, and yet many of the lessons are, are very apt today. 
That was A Wandering Minstrel from the Mikado by Gilbert and Sullivan, the orchestra and chorus of Welsh National Opera under Sir Charles McCarris. And I think it's amazing because we do a Gilbert and Sullivan every now and then with my mm. choir, and we get someone to update the, the setting. We don't change any of the texts in the thing itself, but all you do is update the setting, and it's unbelievable. I mean, it matches today perfectly. Yes, exactly. You've still got, you know, the politicians who many of them probably shouldn't be there. They've been put there by family or connection, and they're not the most appropriate. Many of them are clueless. You know, you've got the very, very similar issues. It is, it is quite remarkable how that kind of level of satire has has, has endured. Of yeah. course, you know, there are certain elements of it that probably wouldn't go down very well these days. I, I don't think that their gender politics is very progressive, for example. But um, the the a lot of those kind of political truisms are certainly things that are very, very worthwhile. And you've chosen also three little maids from school from the Mikado. Here's, again, Sir Charles McCarris with Welsh National Opera. Three Little Maids from School. Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan, that's from Mikado, the orchestra and chorus of the Welsh National Opera under Sir Charles McCarris. The choice of William Byrd, who's my guest in People of Note tonight. He's Director of Media Monitoring Africa. Now, William, with elections coming up next year, I guess the media is often if not always accused of bias one mm. way or the other. But we've got now the added problems, as you mentioned, of sort of freely available media, freely available to anyone and quick and easy. What are your challenges for the elections coming up? Sure. So it's, they are going to be really interesting and very exciting. Um, I think there are a few. So for traditional media or existing credible media entities, the first challenge is that they are dramatically under-resourced. We've gone through uh, a virtual slaughter of journalists from our, uh, our various media houses. You know, more and more of them rely on fewer and fewer journalists to produce more and more content. Well, so and, and newspapers are sort of disappearing. Yeah, they've been decimated, decimated in terms of the numbers of them. We've already seen the closure of one and... Now this, uh, the issue of the PRC pulling out from the independent group is, is, is a disaster, especially as we lead up to elections. So those things are very worrying because it really is the, the important role that media play in the lead up to elections really can't be undermined. You know, it's, a, it's referred to the fourth estate. It's the fourth pillar of a democracy. You really do have to have media and credible media and journalism that is able to tell and report what's going on. Without that, you can't, you can't have a democracy. It's as simple as that. Um, in addition to that, then, with all this explosion of social media, it means that political parties and media have got a wonderful avenue now for disseminating information, which, you know, is something that they really need to use far more effectively. And I don't think that they do anywhere near near enough effectively for most of them. And yet, at the same time, we also know that for relatively cheap and easy means, you can now spread misinformation in a way that is also unprecedented. So. We have to look at scenarios of what we do if people start to see misinformation uh, being spread. If you imagine we're a week before elections and someone spreads a rumor that um, one of the leaders of any of our political parties had said something very detrimental, it may result in violence, it may result in, in a lot of anger and resentment, and it might simply be completely untrue and just done to directly mislead voters about that party. How do you deal with that? How do you counteract that? Because a lot of the things that might be said won't be things that Facebook or Twitter or YouTube might take down immediately. So you really have to say we've got to work with these big social media platforms 
to see what they're going to bring to the table to help make sure that that their resources are used in a way that contributes to our elections and doesn't undermine them. Well, and we're going to listen to some Mozart, and then you can tell us how you interact with the social media platforms. This is by Mozart now, the romance from his piano concerto number 20, Murray Pariah with the English Chamber Orchestra. That was Murray Pariah with the English Chamber Orchestra performing the second movement of the piano concerto number 20 by Mozart. And I see several Mozart pieces coming up, so I can see who your favorites are, Mozart <coughs> and Beethoven. But just to go back to media, or social media mm. for the moment, uh, social media mostly are not based necessarily here. No. So how do you deal with them? And in fact, we're a very small, relatively insignificant market. I mean, they're still growing, but Facebook, uh, I think, a month and a half ago, so it's probably got up since then, have said that they've got 11 million active monthly users in South Africa. Um, and so really, in, in those kind of global terms, you know, when they've got an, uh, users of 1.2 billion or something, it's, it's, it's peanuts. Uh, the but good big news, enough to make a difference, yeah. And, but certainly, certainly to undermine our democracy. And I think that's South Africa's unique role in terms of being a, a guiding light around media freedom and setting very positive agendas for our continent is under scrutiny. It's something that we have to uh, take into consideration. But the good news is that all of those platforms, uh, well, not all of them, but many of the, the major ones, have representation here. They've got organized offices and they've got people and and I think that those people generally try and do their best to make sure that they meet the needs and balance, you know, their their desires to make busloads of money against the kind of interests of democracy. Sometimes those things clash quite plainly, obviously. But I think that uh, working with them, they seem to be open to it. We work with them on some of our work around digital literacy for young people, for example, and they and they prove to be really wonderful partners there. But um. As we approach elections, obviously it's a different kind of story. We really need to make sure that people have got quick, easy reporting mechanisms. If you see something that's that's false on, on 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 the internet on one of these platforms, what do you do? Who do you report it to, and how quickly must it be taken down? And then how do you produce a counter narrative to make sure that things don't spiral into violence or or worse? Yeah, because that can happen pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen a number of people. Uh, losing their lives in, in KZN over factional fighting within the ANC. Um, so it's, it really isn't a, a stretch at all to think that misinformation can, can deliberately incite violence and certainly undermine or shift our, our democratic narrative. You know, And I think it's uh, unlike a lot of other so-called developed nations, our institutions aren't necessarily strong enough to kind of challenge those things so it, it, you know our democracy is is young and it's improving but it's fragile and so we really have to make sure we do everything we possibly can to protect it and continue to deepen it and we need some good winds to blow us into safe waters and that's what this next piece is about suave silvento it's by mozart from cosi van tutte and it's a wonderful trio with the scottish chamber orchestra suave silvento by Mozart, that's from Cosi van Tutte, uh, featured Felicity Lott and Marie McLaughlin and the Scottish Chamber Orchestra under Sir Charles McCarris. William, uh, William Bird is my guest in People of Note. He's the Director of Media Monitoring Africa. You mentioned there that we here in South Africa were a shining light in terms of media freedom. Mm. Is that definitely so, and is it safe? 
No, I mean, what was that quote just the other day? Uh, the price of democracy is eternal vigilance. Um, I can't remember who said it now, but uh, that's certainly true. So if you look at our continent, um, certainly for Southern Africa, our levels of media freedom, we have been significantly threatened over the last few years, but broadly speaking, we've kind of rebuffed those those attempts to undermine our democracy. And certainly still, if you look at the levels of freedom that we do have in South Africa, they are still something that others should be looking to, to say, well, how do they do that and how, what can we learn from them? Uh, so, for example, you know, we can come on air and say whatever we like about our president or any political party with no fear that, you know, they're going to be people waiting outside to, to march us away and arrest us. Or, or, or assault us, you know, which is not the case for somewhere on our borders, Swaziland, Lesotho, um, and even some of the other neighboring countries, certainly Zimbabwe, we're starting to see a slight opening up. But you look at Uganda, they just introduced a social media tax uh, specifically to try and combat the fact that social media is being used to kind of counter the uh, the, the state's grip on, on, on media there. So you've got a... Uh, a scenario where we've got a lot to offer our continent. And we do, through you. Well, we try our, our, our little bits um, with other organizations. You know, we uh, hopefully are able to encourage more people to support and see the real value of media freedom. Again, media often don't talk about their role as, as why they're important, perhaps nearly enough. And it's probably one of the reasons why this kind of counter-narrative of fake news has taken grip because people have forgotten and now take it for granted that what what media really does and uh, does do on a daily basis. You know, without it, we wouldn't have a democracy. It's that simple. Dove Sono is your next choice. This is from The Marriage of Figaro. Kirita Kanawa is singing with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. One of the great arias from The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart, Dove Sono, with Kiritakana, was seen with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra under James Levine, the choice of William Byrd, my guest. Do you have much time to enjoy music? You sound as though you're pretty busy one way and another. I am sadly too busy. Um, I've got two young boys who I don't uh, have very much time for often, and, and they sadly haven't yet quite bitten the, the, the classical music bug. Sadly, when they drive with me in the car, I'm forced to listen to other stations where after five or ten minutes, I'm, I have to switch the radio off. They're your media monitors, right? <laughs> yes, they are. But, um, no, I mean, broadly speaking, they're, they're a joy, and I'm also fortunate to have a very supportive partner. So it's, um, it does help a lot, uh, but I don't get enough time to listen to it, I suppose, is the, is the short answer. But then again, it's not that often that you'll find someone who says, yes, I get all the time to do all the things I really love and enjoy. <laughs> Luckily, I do love and enjoy my job, so that, that, that makes up for it quite a lot. And do you yourself get to travel much around Africa? Um, I do uh, on and off. It just depends on, on the need and the issue, but also we're trying to make sure that other members of our team are able to go out and and continue developing. We've got a young and brilliant team, so that helps a lot. And are there similar organizations elsewhere in Africa? The short answer is not really. You know, they're commercial entities that do some of the work that we do, but the kind of approach that we have makes us fairly unique. You know, there's some wonderful organizations like the Media Institute of Southern Africa, which uh, uh, is there, and there's Freedom of Expression Institute, um, and we're supported by SOS Public Broadcasting. So they're organizations that tend to do fairly complementary work, but I'm not sure that there's an organization that does 
uh, what we do with our approach. No. And elsewhere in the world, do you link up with other international bodies? We do try and link up with different bodies. It's interesting. I've had people uh, approach me at conferences in places like Sweden and Denmark and the UK and say, oh, wow, we really need an organization like yours here. And I go, oh, really? Oh, oh, nice. Well, give us a lot of money and I'm sure we can help set that sort of thing up. But as yet, it hasn't happened. But obviously, their organizations and their challenges are very different to ours. But... um, uh, and I think that, that that is one of the things that makes South Africa so wonderful is, is that it's given an organization like ours the space to to reach into a number of different areas. So we can look at children, we can look at gender, and we can look at policy, and we can look at media freedom and digital literacy and internet governance and you know all of these things and, and more. And, and we can get to have an impact in all of those areas. It's quite lovely. So you're obviously enjoying what you do, and yeah. you and you have a, a well-motivated team by the sound of it? Well, yes. I mean, they, 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 they could be more motivated if I were to exercise some more deep authority over them, but <laughs> <laughs> I haven't as yet. Now, your next choice is uh, a homegrown one. This is Weeping by Dan Heyman. Josh Groban singing with Vusi Mashasela. Josh Groban with Vusi Matlasela and the Soweto Gospel Choir performing Weeping. That piece always amuses me because it's got a sort of strains of Nkosi Sikalele yes. in it. Uh, and it was uh, that when that was banned, not this song, but when the Nkosi Sikalele was banned, they played Weeping quite happily, yes. even though it had it in it. It always amuses me that. I know, that's one of the reasons I chose it is precisely because you kind of know it was one of those gentle moments of resistance that was actually incredibly powerful and, yeah. it, and it speaks to the power of music to uh, to show resistance to what what's going on and then you look at the lyrics and, and, and about weeping for the land and yet underlying it was the this, this kind of constant refrain yeah, yeah. it's a very lovely piece of music yeah. um, and it reminds me of course of my days at the SABC where we had um, long playing records in those days with yes. certain uh, cuts actually damaged so that you couldn't play them and and there were instructions on the on the cover of the lp you know not to be used uh, there were there were lots of those in the library we could probably still find them there if we wanted to yeah it was and the sabc itself is such a bizarre building because as you'll know from having been there as you go into the the belly of the beast these days still and they sometimes take you underground to those studios and you need a guide to come and fetch you and take you there because <laughs> otherwise you'd get lost and what not so many people know is, is that it was designed like that deliberately because they thought at the time that um you know the communists would come and and, and blow up the building and so that luckily their studios would be safe underground and sort of in a bunker yeah, yeah very much bunker style sort of logic and approach um, yeah. which has informed much of their thinking sadly yeah. But and and as you say, in the last how many years have we had seven ministers of information? Yeah, what, well, what is going on with that? Why and why is it so difficult to find stability there? I think that a lot of it is about a, a failure to develop thinking around communications policy and seeing what's happening around the rest of the world. Uh, our, our ruling party has been so obsessed with this idea of uh, the national democratic revolution that a lot of that thinking hasn't shifted to where we are now. So in as much as the ANC in many respects is an incredible modern political party, its approach to communications theory and policies just is, 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 is hideously, horribly outdated. Um, 
instead of then seeing communications as a key area for development, the fact that we don't have, you know, everyone in this country having access to fast, cheap, quality broadband is it, it should be a, a crime against humanity for the simple reason that it's shown everywhere across the world that the moment you give those that 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 ability to people, you drive economic growth. So for for that alone, it's something that we should have been doing. Because it helps, it helps make more money, and it informs communities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's one of those things where they haven't done it. And then you add to that the fact that it was always one of those kind of poor posts. You give it to a minister who's pretty rubbish, and and then when they discover just how rubbish they are, then you have to put a new one in. And that's happened far too many times. So we need raising up. You raise me up. That was performed by Gauteng Opera, who unfortunately were not raised up. Uh, and one of the arts organizations, of which there are many, that have sort of conked out recently. It was a very sad thing. It was, and I think what made it all the more tragic was that uh, I went to see their one of their last performances uh, at, the, at the Nelson Mandela Theatre, and it was completely and utterly transformed. I think there was one white person or two white people in the entire cast and all of the rest of them were, I mean, their, their voices and their talents and ability were world class. And the fact that, that that we can't keep them going despite them being so completely and utterly amazing is, 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 is really a tragedy. And I think it speaks to a misallocation of resources. We don't support the arts anywhere near enough and certainly not uh, areas, you know, we spend all this money giving money to sports when in fact... You know, there are lots of big sponsors. We need to give it to things where they show a real willingness and desire and meaningful transformation. Well, wise words from William Byrd, who's uh, director of Media Monitoring Africa. And William, if people want to get information about the media monitors, how do they do that? Well, they just go to our website. It's mediamonitoringafrica.org. So it's www.mediamonitoringafrica.org. They were easy enough, and there's all the information about them. Uh, and you're set up for many years to come, I hope, monitoring media. And, and people must listen, because I know you appear on TV and radio often, more often radio, I think. Yeah, I think it varies. You know, I've, I've, some people say I've got a better face for radio, but that's uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I have the voice for radio either. So it's, yeah. Um, no, yeah, but, we'll but I'm sure in the months to come, leading up to the election in whenever it is next year, mm. uh, I'm sure May. you'll be you'll be coming on the radio quite a lot to talk about things. Well, I hope so. There's a lot to be done. You know, it's a very exciting period, and there's you know, it's, it's, South Africa's never dull. We we've always liked to invent new challenges, hot and volatile, and long may it continue. And it's it's wonderful to find someone like yourself really enthusiastic about what you do. You obviously love what you do. Indeed, I do. It's um. One of the best jobs in the world. We get to have an impact, go to work every day and... Make a difference. Yep, indeed. Fantastic. William Bird, Director of Media Monitoring Africa, has been my guest in People of Note, the program you've been listening to for the last couple of hours. Well, it's time for us to go now. So thank you at home for listening. Thanks to William for coming in. Thanks to Pete for helping us put it together. And until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good night.